Welcome to Breaking the Grid, a show produced by SAC Desco, where we talk with designers in Sacramento, California, and we learn about how they got to where they are today. I'm Milo Cho, one of the producers of the show. In this episode, our host, Tanu Sri Padat, talks with Andrew Pucci, who is the user experience lead at Binary Defense. Thanks for tuning in to Breaking the Grid. begin, um, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about what you do, like kind of a little background and why are you in Sacramento right now? How did you get into design? Just a quick background. Sure. So I am a lead user experience designer. I work remotely for a company based in Ohio. And uh, basically what I do there, I'm kind of a UX team of one, uh, though I am working with a junior user researcher at this point. Um, so that's exciting, um, but I'm in the UX realm. I've been doing UX work for almost 10 years now. Definitely kind of well-seasoned at this point, mm-hmm. um, but I'm kind of new to Sacramento. I've been here for a little over a year at this point. Um, came from Boston. Definitely can't say enough about the weather here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to interview you, actually. For our listeners who don't know, Andrew has recently started volunteering for Desco, and he's brought a lot to Desco. He, um, you are in charge of like a lot of the tech stuff, right? And then checking in people and all that. And I think we haven't really talked to each other to get to know each other, so I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. Um, so, how did you get started in the industry? You said you're a UX designer, but like, what was your background? What did you study? So I went to school um, way back when uh, <laughs> and studied software engineering. So I started my career as a developer, basically. I, I came out of school and started in web design mm-hmm. or uh, web development, actually, and uh, was working mostly in like Java and Java server pages and um, did some HTML and CSS at that point as well. But then I transitioned my career into more database design, um, thinking about how people ask questions to a, a, a set of data and designing a way for the data to actually be taken out of that like schema and displayed in a way that makes sense to people. So at the time that I was doing that, I was also uh, working on a master's degree in information architecture and knowledge management, which at the time was basically what we were calling what we call UX design at this point. And so really, I was just I was interested in how people interfaced with the things that I was building. Um, the, The real story about how I got interested in UX in general was um, my senior year of my undergrad program, mm-hmm. I was working on a project, uh, a senior's project, or senior like map. Uh, thesis? A, yeah, it's like a senior thesis. And basically, it was a way to kind of help doctors uh, diagnose Parkinsonian tremor. And uh, basically what we were doing, we were using a tablet at the time. This was well before iPads were a thing. Um, and touch interfaces weren't even like a normal inter- interface for people at that point. And I really wanted to understand how people were going to be using this thing. Uh, But as my degree was in development, really, we were just focused on making the algorithms work, basically. We had no real input from real users or real doctors, for that matter. 
And so everything was just kind of opaque. Like we had a vague understanding of, yes, this will, this thing will be done when we get to this point. Um, but I didn't really know, you know, how people were going to be using the thing that I was building. And that kind of bothered me. I was a little turned off of that, you know, just in general. I thought that it wasn't really necessarily a great idea to just build things uh, based on some sort of specification, which is what we were doing. Um, and so I started to look more into how, how do people learn about the, the people that are using the things that we're building. Um, and I had no idea that user experience design was a thing. I, I didn't know that was a field of, de of design. Uh, but I got lucky and I found um, a program very close to me where I was at at the time in Ohio at Kent State working on uh, what they called information architecture and knowledge management. At the time, uh, UX was basically called Big IA, <laughs> which... Information architecture, okay. Yeah, information mm -hmm. architecture. And uh, I found out about the program. I had actually looked into getting a master's in software engineering because mm -hmm. um, I figured maybe learning more about engineering would help me understand how people get that, that input. Um, but I found this program and I got really lucky and uh, went there to, to meet so, some of the professors and just like fell in love with the idea of it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I made my transition into UX in general. That's really cool. Could you just explain, like when you're making this program for the touchscreen tablet that you're using, was it, you would just make something in your lab and you give it away? Like you're not actually there when the person actually uses it? Okay. So it was yeah. just like, you just do something and it's just gone. So you don't know if it works or if it oh, doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So yeah. basically we were given at the beginning, a, a sheet of specifications that say the software when complete, uh, is successful if it does a, B and C. Um, and so what we did was we would work for however long we would work on it, probably a couple of weeks and then test to see whether or not the program did a, B and C. And then dealt with any sort of air conditions or um, any sort of malfunctions of the device or anything like that. Basically sanity checks. Um, there was no real like user acceptance testing or anything like that that we had done. And I mean, this may not be necessarily how folks did it at companies. Uh, you know, this was, this was very much an educational thing. Mm -hmm. um, but still, to me, it just didn't feel right. It felt a little strange and disjointed. Did you start, did you start your master's program right after, like right when you got your first job or was it like a few years when you were in the industry and then like, at what point did you do that? So I started my master's program about, um, a little less than a year into my, my job. So I started, I started, uh, my first job right out of school, graduated and then I think I maybe had like a week or two off <laughs> to get all moved from, from, uh, my school to, my job in Ohio and uh, I started pretty immediately and uh, I realized that things weren't that much different from how I was experiencing them in my, you know, undergrad work. I, uh, I mean, the only time that I would hear from users would be in tickets, support tickets that I would get saying this feature is broken, can you go fix it? Um, and then if I fixed it, it would just get closed and no one would ever tell me, okay, yeah, the users have used this thing now and you know, it, it works. <laughs> it was more of just an assumption that said, oh, okay, we did the work and 
it looks like it's fixed, so let's be happy about it. Um, and so I, I guess I was just kind of in a, a general state of like discontent about, you know, the, the, the usage of my program or my degree, you know, it was, I just really wanted to figure out a better way to interact with the people using the things I was building and uh, got lucky and found out that there was this whole thing called UX. That's really cool. So did you know that it was UX? Because you said it wasn't called UX at that point, right? It was IA. Mm -hmm. So how was it being, I guess, promoted? Like what was a program saying that they're going to teach you? So um, basically at that time, um, yeah, there, there was really no concept of user experience design. Um, and it was kind of a newish term at the time and wasn't really fully adopted in the field. Um, information architecture was much more salient in people's minds. Um, and there was this conversation about big IA and little IA. Big IA was like the overarching umbrella of all the things that made information architecture work. And little IA was the actual information architecture architecture um, like design problems that you had to deal with, like figuring out what a, uh, a search pattern would look like, figuring out what uh, taxonomies for navigation on your website might look like. Uh, those were all small IA. Big IA was the larger, like, okay, how does this fit in with the web property in general, uh, the people who are using it? And so um, the program that I, that I joined was pretty progressive in the field, um, you know, they had a bunch of people on the staff that really had a good sense of what was going on in the industry and really wanted to help push the envelope in the, in the industry and just help people get into this field that is a new thing at this point, uh, at least, you know, applied to software design rather than uh, physical product design or um, industrial design, those types of areas that are I mean, it's very similar to UX. They're just mm -hmm. um, focused on a different set of problems, whereas uh, what we traditionally call UX today, pretty typically uh, people are talking about web design and, and digital products. Digital products, correct. Okay. So what kind of classes did this course offer? Like what were, do you, do you remember the names of the classes that you took? <laughs> I'm not sure if I remember all the names. Um, or do you remember what you learned? Like, what were some, like, main takeaways from the program? Sure. I mean, uh, it was it was very, I mean, it was an academic field or an academic study. Uh, so there was a little bit of, like, knowledge building around, you know, the, the entirety of the industry in general. Um, and not necessarily just, like, something that you would get at a boot camp where it's like, okay, this is how you use this particular program. This is when you would use it. Um, it was more of like, okay, here are some library science con concepts, and this is how you would apply that to, you know, general sense making, place making, figuring out how things fit together. Um, so, I mean, we had classes on like information architecture, knowledge organization systems, uh, content management systems. Um, I had one of my favorite classes was on information visualization. Um, is that the same thing as data visualization, or is that something different? Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar. Data and information are kind of two different definitions, right? So, um... Can you define them both? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the difference. So data is, uh, basically like a set of facts, uh, that you can combine with some sort of, uh, I guess 
some sort of ways that you can pivot on those facts. Um, whereas information is a collection of data that makes sense to people. Um, and mm. it, it has meaning. So it's more contextual, yes. information is? Information, information is the digestion of data into something that has some sort of meaning. Data is, doesn't necessarily have meaning of its own. Right. It has factuality. Um, it doesn't necessarily, uh, if you looked at a table of data, it's not necessarily telling you anything. But then information is taking the things that are in that, that table of data and saying, these are the important parts. And this is, this is the trend over this period of time. Or these are the combinations of, of pieces of data that will make you uh, aware of some particular thing. Right. That makes sense. So that was one of your favorite classes. How about something else? <laughs> Anything else that stands out? Um, I mean, overall, the, the whole program was really interesting because it gave me, uh, you know, it gave me a way to see into a world that I didn't know existed. Um, I learned a whole lot of different things in that class. Everything from like the mechanics of um, just how to do a user interview or like, you know, doing eye tracking studies, uh, things like that, to the whole idea of like just what is user experience design and what do you need to be thinking about whenever you are um, trying to uh, build a piece of software that actually makes sense and works for the types of things that a user is looking for it to work for um, to me I mean when I when I made that transition from development to uh, UX design I realized that there was a lot more questions that I needed to be asking when I was making software. Um, it wasn't just, you know, how quickly does this thing need to run or what buttons do, the, do we need to include to actually, you know, uh, show all the functions that are available. It was like more of like, okay, what context are people going to be in whenever they're using this thing? Are they going to be sitting at their desk at work or are they going to be out in the field, um, you know, trimming trees over power lines? Like uh, that is a project that I worked on. Um, you know, those types of things really, I had never really considered and going into this program, uh, at Kent State really helped me kind of take a step back or like a lot of steps back <laughs> and, and kind of think of things a little bit differently. That's really cool. And so once you were done with the program, um, were you able to apply that knowledge at your work after that? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, even though I wasn't doing, I, I, I did not have the title of user experience designer mm -hmm. when I was going through my master's program. Mm -hmm. I, my, I believe my title was business intelligence specialist. <laughs> that sounds very much like CIA or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was completely, completely different, but mm -hmm. it made me approach my, my job differently. So like I was saying before, um, one of the things that I was trying to do was turn data into information for people. To do that, I was working on the, the very low end, like actual nuts and bolts of like, how do we transform this particular piece of data into something that is uh, digestible by a human? Um, I was getting in rows and rows and rows, like millions of rows of, of data uh, at a time, and then having to make a chart or some sort of like diagram that would help people understand what those million rows mean um, and to help me understand how to make the best like digestible information I really had to understand what questions were important for the people who I was building this to answer so I would go and interview um, 
different business units at the company I was working at and uh, the people that were working there, I would ask them, you know, what, what sorts of things are important to you? Like what key performance indicators are, are important in your organization? Um, you know, when you are sending a truck out to treat trim lines, uh, you know, trim trees by the power lines, like what is making you go to that particular spot? Is it that uh, there's a certain type of tree there or is it that there's been an incident in terms of like a tree has fallen over onto that line? Um, what are what are the things that drive your action? Um, and, you know, when I was uh, going through my program, I was learning on how to really conceptualize the, conceptualize those things and uh, formulate questions that would help me elicit that information that I needed to make those design decisions. And, uh, you know, I was definitely bringing those back on a, on a day-to-day basis. And it was, it was, it was really key. I really, I think it worked out well for me for sure. Awesome. So after that, that's not the company you currently work for, No, right? it's not. So when did you start working here? So uh, at my current company, I have been there for two years exactly to this date. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you, and uh, it's it's been it's been great. You know, the the company I work for is in the information security sector now, and uh, before I started working here, man, I had no idea about any of this stuff that that is that goes on in this realm, but. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there right now in terms of information security that that we all have to be aware of. Um, you know, there, you you read the news uh, online or in in your paper edition, and you see that there's been another data breach like pretty much pretty regularly at this point, and it's pretty pretty overwhelming when you realize how much of your own personal data is out there to the world. Um, and so the goal of my company that I work at now is really to kind of help stop that from happening, uh, help people detect, uh, nefarious activity on their networks so that, you know, if they see initial, initial, uh, phases of a breach occurring, they can shut it down before, you know, actual things that are important get leaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's been really, really interesting to me, uh, to learn how people think in this world. It's very impressive, the amount of, of knowledge and um, things that people have to think about when they're, they're going through their process of uh, investigating these, these incidents. It's just there's an overwhelming amount of information uh, and data that they have to look at. Cool. And you said you're a one-person UX team, right? And now you have a user research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm doing most of the design part mm-hmm. of the UX uh, stuff that's going on at, at my company. Um, okay. And I work with a researcher who does a lot of the uh, research into how people are using the product and, um, you know, what's, what their workflows look like and, and things like that. Um, that's something that I've done before in my, in my career, uh, but it's been really nice for me to be able to lean on my researcher to do some of that work so I have enough time to actually translate the work that she's doing into um, actual design uh, details that I can then implement myself or have the team uh, work on in terms of implementation so so development part yeah yeah development okay. part okay yeah I do I do do some of the the HTML CSS JavaScript stuff myself still uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I like to do it. Just, you know, it's something that I can do. Um, but it's not necessarily something that I want to be spending a whole lot of my time on right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and sometimes, um, it's easier for me to just implement 
small things myself, uh, rather than having to, uh, transfer a whole ton of like background information to somebody to have them go do it. Um, so I typically, if it's small enough and I have time to do it, I'll just go and do it myself. Um, but the larger things I do like to, to work with other developers on the team to, to really kind of build, build out features and identify where we have bugs that we can go and fix, uh, that will help people have a better experience with the product. Do you do testing on the products after you've created them? Yes. What so, is that process like? So for me, uh, at our company right now, um, we kind of piecemeal our testing. <laughs> um, so in terms of like actual, uh, like functional testing, like this thing actually works. I do a lot of that before we merge things into production. Um, I do a lot of that myself at this point. Uh, we don't really have a dedicated like quality assurance team or anything like that, 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 uh, a lot of more established companies have, um, which I, I think we're trying to work on that right now. <laughs> and that would be great because that will free up a lot of my time to do other things that I need to get done. But in terms of users and how they use the things that we are building, the new features and things like that, we do do a lot of testing. Uh, my teammate, she works on actually going through and making sure that, uh, you know, as we're rolling out new features, we're putting it in front of people and having uh, them use the thing so that they understand, uh, so, so that we understand, um, you know, their experience with those particular features. Um, one of the interesting things that has happened lately is we put in this new feature uh, that um, basically allows people to make their own groups of things. Um, <laughs> it's kind of abstract and it's maybe not all that interesting, but basically what, what it came down to is that I designed in a confirmation screen that showed what the differences were between the beginning state and the end state. So like whether or not you added different items to this group or removed them or changed the name of it, this confirmation screen would show you that. And then you would look at that screen. My idea was that you would look at that screen, um, see that the changes that you thought you had made were actually made, and then you press the save button and everything is cool. But when it turns out <laughs> that uh, uh, we, we did some research on this and we found out that people were just confused with that extra step. They were like, well, I already made the changes and I made sure that they were correct before I pressed the confirm button. So then I just got to this confirm screen and I was like, well, okay, yeah, it does, it does the thing that I thought it was going to do. And then I just pressed the save button. So I was like, well, that's interesting. It's, it's yeah. nice to see that, you know, something that, that we spent some time on, uh, you know, just trying to figure out how people would, would think about it, but then actually seeing it in, in practice, it wasn't working the way that we thought it might. And you're not going to know that unless you actually put it in front of people and see what they've got to say. Right. Um, and so, so that's been, that was one of the cooler things that has happened you know, recently, so. Yeah, I've had something that happened at my work where we spent a lot of time on this great idea and we presented it to whenever the client and they're like, this is not how, this is not what we, what works for us. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it really speaks to the power of just talking to your users mm -hmm. and doing testing, etc. cetera. Um, and I was wondering, does you, does your company use like design systems do you have like a list of patterns and things that you've already built and then build, or do you design that is, things? That is something that I'm personally working on trying to get better at. Um, since I am basically the only designer in, in that works on the product that I'm working on, um, 
the design system lives in my head, <laughs> which is not very useful to anybody but myself. That is something that uh, a lot of companies are spending a lot of time on right now is building out design systems that are that are usable bo both by the developers and by the designers who working who are working on their products. I think that it's really key because it drives consistency in the experience um, that users will have with your interface. Uh, and that's definitely something that I've been spending a lot of time on uh, at my job now is to actually figure out how we can best represent that for our users. Um, the fact is that <laughs> that's a lot of work. And uh, when you are trying to um, add in a bunch of new features or uh, deal with a bunch of bugs, um, building on a new design system is sometimes a hard sell and that's 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 something that we have to work through right now and and uh definitely exciting times in that matter <laughs> yeah i know it takes a lot of work to just pick out everything that you have and then create something consistent from it um i know some people who've done that and it takes seems to take a team it's not just a one person job mm, for sure yeah yeah i'm taking a course a ux course right now and it takes me so long to create just simple interfaces um and we're learning about design systems and it's supposed to be helpful and it is but at the same time it still takes me a really long time like do you have have you learned to be efficient over time like do you have anything that you do yeah so we so at work we we have uh a like de facto design system um, so we use Bootstrap on the front end to kind of like deal with how all our buttons are defined, how our navigation works, um, you know, how our headings and content is, it has the same look and feel. And that has been kind of a conscious decision for us as a company so far is that, uh, you know, we don't have a, a giant large development team. We don't have a large design team. Um, so we needed some sort of structure that we could rely on that would help us uh, be nimble, but also be able to, um, keep some sort of, uh, semblance of consistency throughout the user interface. I mean, we have a lot of work to do still. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but most of our buttons are all the right or the same color. You know, they all kind of, um, are in the same spot in the UI. So people know where to expect them. Um, you know, all those things are pretty consistent. And so, We've been able to build that kind of piecemeal through using an existing front-end architecture. Um, and so I've piecemealed that back into how I uh, have created, uh, you know, different symbols and things in my design process. It's a lot easier to do when you only have one designer too, because uh, it's really only myself who has to understand it. And I don't have to work with other folks who are using the same thing that I'm that I'm building. Um, in that case, it would it would probably be a lot better if I had some sort of documentation on how it all works. And those are things that I want to get to. Those are the future. Mm -hmm. That's the future state for me, um, because I do eventually want to hire other folks for the mm -hmm. team because there's a lot of work to be done right. and definitely um, more than I can just handle myself. But, you know, getting to that state where um, you have some sort of consistency between the conversation that you have on the design side and the conversation that you have on the development side, bridging that gap um, is something that is easier to do when you have some sort of uh, consistent like front-end architecture to work with, uh, something that you can also, you know, 
consistently know that this button is going to have eight pixels of padding around the text or something like that. You know, those are things that I can work with on the design side um, or the UI design side. Uh, I can make sure that I'm following all these rules that are put in place by this front end architecture so that whenever I design a button, it's not like big and chunky and they have to go and implement some exception to the rule. Uh, you know, I'd much rather it be very consistent throughout the UI. So yeah, I mean, I guess in general, that's that's kind of <laughs> how it goes in this piecemeal architecture that we have now. But I mean, there are companies out there that are doing really cool things with this. You'll see things where um, design tools have actually close tie into the development system. So like to actually even change a button in your design, you have to be able to change some of the code in the, the front end implementation to make that button bigger or smaller or a different color. You only have some way, whatever the way is that it's defined in, in the uh, the front end architecture, that's the only way that you can use in your, your design. So in that way, it's very, very well known what you're gonna have whenever you get to, to production, right? So I don't know, I think, I think there's a lot of good to be done there or good to be had there. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of thinking that needs to go on there. And, and um, you know, when you're, when you're creating a design system, there's a lot of different things to think about too. And it's not just a developer and designer conversation. It's involving many people across all different aspects of the business, right? Cause a lot of times you're going to be thinking about like your brand and your, your uh, brand voice. And you'll probably want to be talking to sales and marketing about those types of things and getting their opinions. So whenever you, have a conversation with your users through your UI, it makes sense uh, whether you're using the product that you're building or using the, the marketing website or a support email. You know, all those things, if you're using the same voice, should sound similar. You should have the same sort of experience throughout all your, your touch points with the company. And those are types of things that, that belong in design systems. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, yeah, because most of the design systems I've seen online are from huge companies that, and it makes sense they have huge teams. Um, what kind of com what like sized companies have you worked for? Like, is your company right now considered medium size, small, um, and how about in the past? Yeah, I, I the company that I work at right now is still pretty small. Um, I guess probably it would be considered a medium sized company. Uh, we're up around a hundred people right now. Um, which is still pretty small, especially whenever you start thinking about the actual team size of the people that are building the product. Um, it's maybe 30, 40 people. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of support uh, throughout the other parts of the company that help, you know, make the company run that are involved there. But uh, the company that I worked for before this was also very small. I came on in the first 10 people of the, at the company. Uh, it was a very small startup, and by the time that I left, there was almost six times as many people there. So uh, it was getting close to 60, 70 people by the time uh, I left. And so, I mean, over the past five, six years or so, definitely I've worked on very small teams, very small companies in general. But the first company I ever worked for was a Fortune 100 company. Um, it was a utility in Ohio. You know, there was at the time maybe 15,000 employees. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big company. Yeah, it's a, it's a much different experience um, working in a company like that than working at a company like I'm at today where there's, you know, just, just me working in the UX department. 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a completely different feel, but, uh, you know, it, each has their pluses and minuses. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really have a preference as to the, the size of the company that I work for. It's really just how do I work with the people that I'm working with that, that really interests me. Yeah, I've worked for basically small companies so far. I work for a startup, um, like sort of right out of college. Um, and I know when I left, it was around 100 something, but now I think they're 400 or it's grown a lot more. And at least in the culture, apparently there's a difference. Like when you're first starting there in a small company, you kind of know everybody. But then once it gets really huge, it's just like you just know like your project and nothing oh, yeah. else. Um, do you feel like, like there are some skills that take to be a good team member? Like what is, what's worked for you? So, um, I think for me, uh, one of the key benefits that I have as a UX designer is that I was a developer once. Um, I think that that's been really helpful for me throughout my career because it helps me understand how to speak to people who, um, or speak with people who are building the things that I'm that I'm designing. It helps me really understand the kinds of process that they go through as well. Um, being able to understand that if I design this UI in this manner, it's going to take six weeks to build. But if I change a few things and design it this way instead, it may only take like two weeks. That's something that is really helpful for me. Yeah, that seems very valuable. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but I think in general, really just having uh, empathy is such, it's one of those <laughs> words that, that is like a buzzword, yeah. but you know, having empathy for how people, uh, how they do their work, how it would be helpful for you to interact with them, uh, whether that's just interpersonally or, you know, from an organization standpoint, uh, I think those are things that are really helpful to look at uh, and, and turn your design lens onto. It's like, okay, this person or this team works this way and these are the things that they need to function. How can I best get those things to them and try to get the, the process to work in a way that, that makes sense, not only for them, but for me too. Like, how do I, how do I make that, that work? And I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. At my last job, I actually kind of transitioned from a... Uh, like user experience designer, as we all kind of think about it, into a people experience designer. <clears throat> I actually changed my title to culture architect at one oh, point, cool. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, was an interesting thing. It was a, a, an interesting sidestep in my career because, uh, like I said, I was one of the first 10 people to come onto the team. Um, this and is a startup? It was a startup, yes. And uh, it, like you were saying earlier, Basically, you know, it's it's a completely different experience when you're working with six other people when than it is when you're working with 60 other people. When you're working with six people, you're probably in a room small enough that you can, like, turn around, tap them on a shoulder, um, unless you're working remotely. But still, even then, like, you know what everybody is working on, and they know what you're working on. And so it's really easy to keep track of all the things that are going on and how you can help. And, like, if somebody needs your help, they'll just tap you on the shoulder or send you a DM. But whenever you have 60 people, uh, it's a lot harder. There's um, like <laughs> not infinite, but almost infinite number of connections that you have to make to kind of understand what is this entire company or team doing. You don't you don't really know what's all going on everywhere. And uh, sometimes that leads to different teams working on the same thing and not even knowing it. Um, sometimes it leads to hiring new people and then them not having a laptop for two weeks 
which is what happened at my last company. We hired somebody, they didn't have a laptop for almost two weeks and they weren't really able to get any work done. And that bugged me. <laughs> like that was one of those things that brought me back to like my just like general unsatisfaction with how it was to be a developer who didn't have any interface with their, their users. I thought this, this, this onboarding experience is just broken. And I decided to turn my UX lens into the company and try to figure out how can we make this work better so that whenever bringing new people onto the team, they have a better experience. And so I decided to work with the CEO to try to figure that out. And I spent a couple of months working on a project to figure this out and figuring out how we can like streamline some of the processes so we don't have to worry so much about spending the money to get the things and then giving them to the people and then mm. having people uh, not understanding what they're supposed to be doing once they start. So it's really just building a whole process around that. And, you know, whenever you're starting at a company that is that small, you know, sometimes you're just like, okay, yeah, it'll happen because it will happen. But we wanted to be a little more intentional about it so that people would have some sort of way to understand what is going on whenever they're starting and feel like they belong here. And so that whole project kind of like turned a bunch of things up for me and the CEO. And like, we were just like, oh, there's a lot of things going on in this company that we could really use some help on. And there were so many things that I just decided to kind of turn it into my full-time job. Wow. I got, got lucky. There was, uh, we hired a couple of other folks who were working on research and design at that company. And luckily we were able to make the space for me to kind of move off of that work and move into the work of trying to understand process inside of the company and, and how the culture has been evolving inside of the company. And, uh, you know, I think that was, that was a really interesting sidestep for me in my career. Definitely something that I got to learn a ton in and really enjoyed it. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's really nice to hear. One of my, well, the current company I work for, I love the onboarding process. I think it's the only kind of, actually, no, I have worked for a tech company. The startup was a tech company, but the onboarding process was not amazing. It was just whatever, you know, someone's training you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But in my current one, um, we use Trello boards and there was an onboarding Trello board. And for the first week, it's sort of like a interview week like even though that you've gone through the interview the first week is still an interview week to see if you work well with the team and things like that and then on the trello board was all the information about like the things that we do and how to use the different parts and parts of our company and i thought that was really interesting because then i just maybe that's a type of learner I am I need to take some time apart and like read all the literature <laughs> first or something but I read everything and it you know it made like it made a good onboarding process for me at least that's awesome yeah thank you so it seems like most of the jobs that you're talking about you seem to have a lot of autonomy is that something you've always had is that something you started having more as a UX designer or is that just the state of tech that's a tough question. I think it really kind of depends on the team that you're on. I've luckily been on, I, I don't know, autonomy to me is something that is important. Um, I, I like to be given the autonomy to do the things that I need to get done. Um, so I've gotten lucky in that most of the teams that I've worked on, I've been given that autonomy to, to, to really understand, get a better understanding of what I needed to spend my time on and then actually go do that. Um, but that's not necessarily always the case. Uh, 
Um, you know, I've worked on larger teams where everybody kind of has a defined role and, um, you know, the smooth operation of the company or the team in general kind of depends on the fact that you're doing that particular role. And that's not necessarily my favorite way to operate in terms of the jobs that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I like to get dirty <laughs> in like all the different details. And that's just kind of probably the way I think. I'm not saying that's the best way for everybody or anything like that. But uh, at least the past few companies that I've worked at, I've been given the autonomy to actually try to understand the things that, that are things that need paid attention to at the company and actually do the work to, to go and make those things work. Um, it's been helpful, I think, that I've been kind of a UX team of one or two, you know, a very small team. Um, people rely on me to kind of really know what I'm trying to get done to, to help the company. And if I just come in and wait for people to give me orders, then it's usually not gonna work out well because they hired me for a reason. They hired me to come in and try to help them understand more about the people that are using their product or um, the people that they're trying to reach, uh, those types of things. And so I have to try to bring my expertise into that, that realm and say, okay, this is what we should try to go do. So that's, that's kind of been helpful for me, you know, in terms of like how I like to work. <laughs> yeah, I think I've learned um, in my small career that I also prefer to have a lot of autonomy. Like I start getting kind of bored, I think, when I have to do something for somebody else. Um, where, I mean, I'm still doing something for someone else, but if I'm in charge of a project, it's a lot more exciting to me because mm -hmm. <laughs> I get to control where it goes and... And I've actually read on like the NN group, um, you know, they're Nielsen Norman. Yes. Nielsen mm -hmm. Norman group. They released this huge PDF about the UX uh, um, industry and how do you get into it and how are people liking it? And most of the people were really satisfied with the job. And one of the reasons they said is because they got to be autonomous. Mm -hmm. Um, and you felt I guess you feel like an expert, like usually there's only like a team of one or very few and you get to lead an idea. Um, so that was really cool to hear that. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I think as a designer, a lot of people are just very inquisitive as, as you know, that's their nature. Um, and so if you are kind of boxing yourself into a small role and a small set of duties, but you're super inquisitive, like you're going to eventually butt up to the ends of that box. And, uh, you know, that's going to be uncomfortable. So finding a place where that box is a little more amorphous is probably helpful. <laughs> so let's take a step back. And can you talk about any struggles that you faced? Because so far you've been saying I've been very lucky with this, you know, with getting these opportunities, but I'm sure you must have faced some struggles. And like, do you have any like thing that you can think about or how you overcame them? What did you learn from them? Sure. So, I mean, I, I've been tell, saying a lot that, you know, I've been a UX team of one or a small UX team, right? That's both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing in that you do get that autonomy. You do get that ability to kind of shape your work, but it's also a bad thing because I've never been in a place where one person was enough to do all the work that there is to do. There's always a lot more work to be done. And trying to figure out where to draw that line between this is something I'm going to work on and this is something that I need to shelve for later 
that's a really hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to understand where you need to draw that line, who you're going to uh, need to work with to understand better on prioritizing those things. And sometimes just <laughs> dealing with the people that you make mad because you aren't able to work on the things that they have prioritized high for themselves. Um, it's, it's not necessarily an easy thing to, to deal with, but, uh, you know, it's, it's something that when you are working on such a small team like that, you have to be able to know how to make your case for the things that you feel are appropriate to work on. Um, and it, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go and say that, like, I'm the one who determines the priorities of everything, because that is clearly untrue. <laughs> um, but I have to give my input in terms of what I expect um, in ter uh, for, for the users of the product, for my own general sanity. <laughs> um, you know, I have to I have to give feedback to the product teams, the product managers, um, anybody that I'm working with that I'm trying to build these priorities for. Um, I mean, that's that's a hard thing. Hiring is an interesting thing as well. Really? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, it's it's really interesting to to think about hiring, right? To do hiring right, I don't think many many companies do hiring right. Uh, it's a it's a hard thing, and you have to spend a lot of time thinking about the the uh, the type of person that you want to bring onto your team and do the work that you need to get done on your team. And really, that's that takes a lot of thinking to understand what work do you actually need to get done, and who should be the person that actually fills that role. Uh, I think a lot of companies just kind of see, okay, we we have a, a a need to have a better design, uh, but they don't know how to get to there. Uh, but they want to hire, you know, ten UX people, or they want to hire, you know, some slate of people that they don't really understand how they're going to work with the rest of the teams. And so you go into an interview and you're like, okay, how am I going to be working with the, the developers or the product team? Um, and they don't have any understanding of how that's going to work. And that, that to me is a little scary. So when I've worked on hiring projects in the past, like uh, I've really spent a lot of time to try to figure out why are we actually trying to hire for this position? Um, who's this person going to be working with? What sort of tasks do we need to get done and will they help us get done so that we can identify uh, somebody who's actually going to be a good fit and is not just like, oh, we're going to hire this person because they're somebody that I'd like to have a beer with after uh, after work. You know, like that's 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 something that um, I, I think to me is is toxic in the long term. Uh, a lot of companies uh, have this idea of culture fit, right, where <laughs> They'll have like a ping pong table or, you know, a keg in the fridge that uh, that people can can use throughout their day or whatever. And I, don't, I think that that's I think that that's not necessarily what makes your culture. I think your culture is more on like how do people bring them whole, their whole selves to work and how do you get them all to work together? And I think if you're not very if you're not thinking a lot about how that's going to work whenever you're hiring, your culture is going to just end up being, um, it's going to end up being what it is. Uh, <laughs> there's, you're, if you're not thinking about it, you're not going to be able to direct how it grows. Um, you, you may end up just hiring that person that you think would be a good person to hang out with after, after work. And that's going to get you a lot of, a lot of group think usually, uh, a lot of, uh, same thoughts and you're not going to really expand outside the boundaries of what you already have. And, I think in terms of hiring, especially for a design position, finding people who have like diverse mindsets about the world 
is really important and uh, definitely something that that I've found to be eye-opening throughout my career. Uh, it's definitely not an easy thing, uh, but it's definitely a thing that I like to spend a lot of time on thinking and having a better understanding of how to best do that. So definitely a challenge, but a good, good challenge. Mm -hmm. So you've been obviously on both sides of the hiring process. You've been interviewed and been an interviewer. And is there anything that you could tell like students or, you know, newbies into the industry? Like what are some tips? But also one more question, because you said that sometimes it's just as an interviewer, you already have a picture of who you're looking for. Is it even, is, should there even be a list of things you should do to be a good candidate? If you may not fit what the company's looking for? Well, <clears throat> I guess I would I would kind of posture that, like, if you're not what the company is looking for, why are you trying to be there? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with that one as a, personally, because I, I try to bring my, my whole self to wherever I'm going. And if the company that I'm interviewing at doesn't like my whole self in the interview, then they're probably not going to like my whole self when I'm working there. And I'm spending a lot of time during my life at work and I want to be happy when I'm at work. So I, I just want to be as real as possible when I can in the interview so that people can get a full sense for who I am. And if they don't want who I am to, to join their team, then that's fine with me. I'll find some place that will. It's <laughs> um, a really healthy way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it's a, it's a giant life decision, right? To, to find out where you want to work and to find out, um, you know, what team you're going to do that with. And, and I think it's tough. There's a lot of work that goes into it both on both sides. Uh, well, there should be at least, <laughs> um, you know, you're going to be spending a lot of time with the folks that, that you're joining the team, like eight hours a day, probably ish. Uh, you know, that's, that's a good third of your life. <laughs> so, Okay, so knowing that, how, what recommendations could you give to somebody who's looking for a fit, like when they are looking for jobs? Is it just, okay, I ha I know how to use this software really well, you know, and they are listing the same requirements. So yes, I think I'm gonna be a good fit because most of the time I've seen very rare uh, job descriptions where it kind of talks a little bit about the company, you know, a little bit outside of your skill levels. And I know skill is a, it's number one thing, but to get a whole wholesome view of the company and to bring your whole self to uh, the right position, like how, how can you do that? So I think skill is obviously a, an important part of, of fit, uh, role fit. If you don't know how to do the things that are required to get the job done, then either they have to be open to teaching you that on the job, um, or you're just not going to work out. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's something that you can concretely know. This is something that if I want to have this position, I need to go work on X, Y, and Z skills. And eventually you'll build those skills and then you can go apply for that type of position. Um, the thing that I think is a little more important for like the culture ad conversation or like, am I a good fit for this company? Can I be my whole self? Is really having a good idea of what your own values are from a work perspective, from a personal perspective, so that, uh, you know, if you know, if you know that you value autonomy, like you just said, um, you need to figure out a way to understand how autonomy works at that company. Uh, you need to be able to figure out 
a question that you can ask or uh, talk to folks, you know, outside of the interview even to see how they they experience autonomy in their positions. If that's not going to be something that works for you the way that you envision for yourself, then in the end, it's not going to be a good fit. You might get a you might get an offer and you might accept it and you might get get to work and you know like six weeks in, you're just like this is this is this is not for me. Uh, <laughs> they've just got me boxed in. I can't really do anything besides like get micromanaged by, by my manager. I'm just not feeling it. And you know, then, then it's, it's not a fit. You're eventually going to fall out of that process. So I think really you need to do the work to kind of figure out what your own values are. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I've never seen on anybody's resume, but my own, I actually list the values that I have oh, on the left awesome. side of my resume, which is, is interesting. I don't know if it actually works out for me or not because it's it's a little strange, but it, it is it is definitely it's me. You know, it's when I say I want to bring my whole self, like that's that's my whole self. Like, well, what's I mean, a, it's not my one whole example self. of a value uh, list? Learning is a very important thing for me. If I'm not learning, then I get bored, and I don't want to be bored in what I'm doing on a day to day basis. So, learning and autonomy kind of go very well together because. If I have autonomy to to mold my job into something that I want to be doing, usually I'm kind of morphing my job as I learn more things. Um, so, I mean, like I was saying in my last job, I realized that there was a problem with the onboarding process. I decided to learn more about that, um, learn more about how other companies were dealing with their onboarding process, and I ended up morphing my job into something more focused on that stuff. And so, definitely, learning is a is a huge value for me. Um, definitely something that that I want to understand, like, one, that's one of my top, like, three important things whenever I try to go and talk to a company or, or join a team or something like that is uh, I want to know whether or not they'll support me in my learning endeavors or if I'm really just there to be a cog in the machine. That actually reminds me, because the way you found out about Desco, or actually I don't know how you found out about Desco, but the way you approached us is to lead a talk, and that was because you had to learn about it at work, right, to apply to work, and then you then gave the talk about um, color accessibility. Mm -hmm. So that's really awesome. And it seems like you have been involved in uh, design communities in the cities that you've lived in, Mm -hmm. and that's important to you because you you approached us and you wanted to be part of, like, the organizing team and things like that. Um, Is that something you learned as you got more into the industry? Like, why is... Why is doing that so important to you? Well, I think uh, just selfishly, it's been helpful for me because I get to meet a lot of people doing similar things to what I'm doing. Like I said, I've worked on very small teams. There haven't I haven't been able to work very closely with a lot of user experience designers out in, in a lot of my jobs. So getting a building a community around myself, like just trying to, to meet different people um, and see what what kinds of cool projects people are working on or like what sort of ideas they have. Um, that's intriguing to me. And I mean, I've lived in a a few different cities at this point. Um, we don't need to go into my whole history, but you know, I definitely like to dive into the design community wherever I'm at, because I think there's always going to be people doing really cool things and I want to learn about those things. And I want to know, you know, (laughs) what I can steal from each of their processes (laughs) to make my process better. But also at the same time, I want to give back too. Like I want to be able to um, 
help people who are in a position that, you know, maybe I was in like 10 years ago and I didn't really know what UX was. Like, how do I help people understand what it is and, you know, how they can get their first foot into the field or, um, you know, things like that. I do like to give back and in being involved with the community or having a design community in general gives you that, that ability to, to know, okay, yeah, there's, there's people out there that are doing this thing or trying to do this thing. And, um, you know, this is how I can go out and help. So, that's kind of why I like to, to keep my, my thumb on the pulse. <laughs> I realized something about me after I started volunteering for Desco is, um, so my background is in bio and when you're pre-med, you just want to do everything for your resume. <laughs> and maybe that's just like a college student thing. But I remember I used to, I volunteered a lot, like at hospitals and clinics and any kind of thing. And like, it was just always like, oh, so that I can get into, you know, school like mm -hmm. some something but with Jesco it was just like it was an interest of mine and I mean the way I got into Jesco is a different story but I just really enjoy volunteering for it because I like doing it for more than just oh this is gonna look good on my resume mm -hmm. um so that was revealing to me because like okay I really like this field mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah the people I've met in the design uh community in Sacramento have been so open and nice and there doesn't seem to be a competition like like I, how I would imagine artists and designers to, you know to portray themselves but it's it's been really nice to meet all these really wonderful people in Sacramento um is that how it is in design communities that you have been in in other cities are, are people very open yeah. yeah definitely I mean I've I've lived in Cleveland, Akron, Ohio. I've lived in Boston before moving to Sacramento and you know, in all those communities it's just been it's it's very similar to that. You know, there's a lot of folks who um I mean, it's kind of self-selecting too, obviously. You know, you're going to um uh meetings with folks who clearly want to be at that meeting because nobody's forcing them to be there. But there's enough people around that like you're all trying to do the same thing. You all want to know more about other folks you want to know more about you know what are the leading cool new things in in this field or in this industry um and somebody that you're that you're working around is doing those things it might even be you <laughs> uh so i think you know having that openness to to really just there's there for me there's never really been any sort of like competitive nature to the design communities that i've been in it's not really like I'm trying to outdo everybody else. It's more like, okay, I think everybody else is doing really cool things. How can I take that stuff that they're working on and use it in the things that I'm doing? Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you're going to be the one doing the cool thing too. Uh, something that, uh, you know, other folks aren't doing yet or, um, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's, that's definitely something where, you know, for me with the color accessibility thing, I really never had to work on that. You know, I've never, I, I don't have a background in graphic design. I don't understand color theory per se. Um, you know, that's never really been my thing. But when I started having to work on this like pseudo design system that we were, we were talking about earlier at my company, one of the things that I needed to do was to build um, uh, like the two or three brand colors that we have into a workable system of colors that we can use throughout the interface in the product. Um, something that all fit well together. But while I was doing that, I realized that there was this thing called color accessibility, which was, um, you know, really just 
creating sets of colors that people could actually read whenever they have, you know, vision deficiencies, whether that's like, um, you know, what, what people call colorblindness or whether that is like, um, you know, just having low vision or no vision. Um, you know, you have to keep these things in mind whenever you're designing a design system like this. And um, that's something that I had to dive head first into and learn a lot about. I read quite a few things online and read a book and like, uh, I'm sure I watched a few videos, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I had to do to, to get to a point where I felt comfortable making those decisions and saying, yes, this is where I think we need to be in terms of our color design system at our company. And then, uh, you know, I was like, well, I'm sure there's other people out there who have not done this work either. I'm sure there's people out there who might really like to hear about this thing. So I was like, well, this could be something that I can share. I can, I can, I can share this thing. Um, hopefully people will find it interesting. And if not, then that's fine. I did my best, but you know, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, I thought would be a nice thing to give back. Yeah, we learned a lot. And at my company, we do some, um, we create like readable documents for the legal industry. And one of the recommendations that we've always said is, oh, don't, don't use red and green because, you know, the colorblind, um, a color, person with colorblindness will not be able to read it. And then when I went to your talk and I learned it's more about the contrast between the colors, not so much the colors themselves, that was a bit mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's so many resources out there, um, new technology out there to check if you're... Um, like if your work is colorblind friendly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I learned a lot. Um, do you have any recommendations for people new to design or people who are currently in school for how to maybe get into the industry or like any books or resources that you can think of um, that you can recommend? I mean, everybody's journey into user experience design or design in general. Um, I think I've met folks coming from the most non-designy things that come into to design, um, you know, it, it, everybody has a different journey. Uh, it's a, it's, it's really, I think what it comes down to is uh, when you're doing something and you realize that it could be done better, you want to understand how that better is done. That is, that is when you get that spark of like, oh, I, I want to, I want to figure this out. But I think really the journey into to UX is is something that uh, is driven by curiosity. And so understanding your own curiosity, I think, is a great place to start. Um, and knowing, you know, how you like to, to work with things. I think for me, my curiosity led me to a master's program. But that's really kind of just a side effect of where I was in my life at the time. Like when I thought about education, when I thought about learning, I was like, okay, I need to learn from somebody. I need to have a formal process in, in place to do that. And I don't think that's really the case uh, anymore. Like if I needed to learn something now, I don't necessarily think that I would lean on a formal program. There's a lot of things out there that can help you learn about the things that you want to learn about. It may be a master's program. It may be a boot camp, It may be online courses on Coursera, but I think it's really just kind of figuring out what fidelity, what fidelity you want out of your learning, what will keep you interested in what you're trying to learn and what will hold yourself, uh, what will help you hold yourself accountable for some folks that may be a very rigid school structure, uh, for other folks, 
you know, it, it may just be working on a project with a friend um, and learning that way. But um, I guess in terms of like actual things that, that will help for me, my gateway into like UX in general, um, the, the thing that really got me excited about UX once I started my master's program um, was the design of everyday things by uh, Don Norman. Man, that that book, <laughs> it has me angry at doors and their <laughs> and their doorknobs to this day. Like every single door, <laughs> every time I run into a door that has a push sign or a pull sign, um, but has you know a push plate where you should need to be pulling or vice versa. It's just that book is like the the definitive um, eh, like reading for for learning about design and how you can shape everyday things right that was written before uh before the web really became the thing that it is today so there is a lot of focus on things like uh telephones and doorknobs and physical things in in the world but uh it really maps back to to you know web design in general too because you have to think about things the same way um it's a great book. I, I recommend it to everybody. Um, if you want to get more information about like user testing um, or understanding the relationship that users have with the product, um, I think Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug is a good book. Um, very thin, really quick read. Uh, definitely can get that done real quick, but it gives you just enough information that, um, you know, it'll get your, your juices flowing. Um, you'll find things that you want to learn more about by reading that book. And I think that's really key. Alrighty. And lastly, I want to ask if you've ever had mentors um, throughout your career, because that is something online resources will always say, get a mentor <laughs> when you're, if you're a UX designer, maybe any kind of designer. Have you had a mentor? Have you been a mentor? Uh, do you think it's important to have mentors? Or, and how can you find them i think I, I think having a mentor is a great thing if you can find a mentor um that'll be helpful for you no matter what i think for me i've never really had like a formalized mentor mentee relationship um in that like that was how we defined who we were to each other um but i've definitely learned from a lot of people in my career both informally and formally, uh, you know, just getting together uh, and talking about certain topics or uh, setting aside some time uh, during the week to just talk about things that I wanted to learn about. Those things have been really helpful to me in my career. Um, but I've also tried to be a mentor to, to, to folks as well. Um, you know, I don't like to claim the title. <laughs> it seems a little strange to me, but, um, you know, I... I like to share the things that I know about my field with folks as much as possible. Um, you know, especially given that I really had no idea what I was doing whenever I came into, I, like, I'm the first one in my, in my family who really went to college. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing when I went to college. Uh, got myself into a lot of student debt is what I was doing. <laughs> but, you know, for me, that's that's kind of key is like, you know, I, I had no idea and I really didn't know who to ask. So what I want to do with my career and, and you know, during, uh, you know, in my life, I really just want to help people in terms of 
how to, to get to where they want to be. You know, if there's something that I can do to help with that, like I really enjoy spending some time doing that. Um, whether that's like talking about how to get into UX or how do you use this particular thing in Adobe XD or, you know, any of those, those like in between there, it's just, that's, that's something that I really like to do because teaching and, um, sharing things that, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing because it helps you learn more yourself. Um, for me, like to get it to a point where I know something well enough to, to teach it to somebody, um, you have to be able to take the complexity and, and boil it down into simplicity and to give it to somebody else. Right. So I might be able to know really complex things. And if I just like dump those complex things on somebody, that's not going to help them. I need to know what are going to be the things that they need to grasp onto first and what are the big things, um, and teach them those things and then help them build their skills from there. Um, and so I learn more about the things that I'm trying to teach by doing that. You know, I have to know very, very detailed things about, about these things that, um, you know, I probably wouldn't care to spend the time on if I wasn't teaching somebody. So I get a lot out of that too. Like, I mean, kind of, kind of, you know, a lot of the things that I've been talking about today have been, I get a lot of benefit out of it, but like, I want to share that benefit with other folks too. So, um, you know, I, I'm not doing things, like you said, to just put it on my resume. I, I'm doing things that are still self-serving, but also um, maybe not not completely just for myself. You know, I, I want to help others as well. Thank you. Since you're an outsider to Sacramento, you're relatively new. What do you, how do you feel about the um, Sacramento design scene? Like, I know I'm like a three-year outsider. I've only been here for three years or maybe four Um and I think Sacramento just didn't have a good PR team. <laughs> like people don't really know much about Sacramento until you start living here and you start meeting the community. And I've noticed there's like a lot of growth and lots of companies here. Um, do you have any insight or like what you've noticed after moving here? Yeah, I mean, I think for me coming from Boston, which is a pretty well-known like design hub in the U.S., um, coming to Sacramento, I was a little worried. I was like, I've never heard of anything in, in about design in Sacramento, but it was just a matter of finding the people that are doing the work. You know, there's plenty of people here that are doing design work. And, um, I think Desco is doing a phenomenal job of getting those folks together. Um, which is another reason why I wanted to help out. Um, because I think that there's a lot of value in building that network. Um, and like you said, that the, the whole, you know, design community not really having a PR team, I think that's one of the things that Desco is helping out with, um, is really saying, yes, we are here and this is what we're doing. Come learn with us. Um, and I think that that's, that's key. Uh, I think there's a lot of cool things going on in Sacramento. Um, there's uh, too many events that go on yeah. to even mention. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Like I miss every other event basically because uh, I have to spend a lot of time on Desco and other <laughs> responsibilities. And I feel so bad because there's so much, so many events that are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The community is strong here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely room for growth, but, uh, you know, I think, I think there's, if you're interested in anything design related, there is somebody in Sacramento doing that. Um, it's just a matter of finding them. Right. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Andrew. I know you're so busy and we really appreciate it that you wanted to be interviewed or you were open to being interviewed. Um, and this is a really cool conversation. I'm like really happy we have this. Do you have any last thoughts or do you want to share anything about yourself or anything like that? Um, I don't think so. I think, uh, <laughs> I think you got a, a lot out of me. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully it's, it's helpful to, to the listeners and, uh, and, and thank you for having me as well. I'm really excited to, to join and hopefully this will be valuable to somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Check out our show notes for resources. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at SACDESCO, that's S-A-C-D-E-S-C-O, or email us at thisisdesco at gmail.com. Special thanks to Sam Shapiro for the music. I'm Milo Cho, and you've been listening to Breaking the Grid, brought to you by SACDESCO in beautiful Sacramento, California. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day.